Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to Episode 8 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing Pennsylvania and to explore their solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. And that's not always easy or obvious. We have a slightly unusual episode planned for you today, but like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we're an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com because you are an integral part of every episode. And you can always listen in iTunes, Stitcher, Google, whatever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today for the you part, we have a whole bunch of new questions. One about loose cannon government officials. Sounds good. Police brutality. Kevin, we're finally getting around to that one. Arming teachers and free college for all students. That's the you part. After that, part two is all about them, where each episode we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today, our guest is a mix of the environmental and the political, Sean Patrick Helst, the Pennsylvania hemp king and a hemp activist. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today's issue is a serious one, police killing citizens. Also throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and read whatever comes into our mailbag. Today we have with us Toastmaster Angel Young. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Angel. Welcome, Ken. It's good to have me here. It's good to have you too. Well, let's dig right into that mailbag. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but also to explore solutions. So what do we have today, Angel? Our first email is from Bob Small from Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, Delaware County. Bob says... How about this excerpt from RT.com? When an official tells us it's our choice to how much to drink and smoke, we are shocked, and many are outraged. But this is what the new Norwegian Health Minister, uh, Slyvi Lusthog. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I can't read that either. I can't read that either. I'm sorry, Bob. L. Said that, said that, said that led to calls for her immediate registration for settling public welfare back decades. People should be allowed to smoke, drink, and eat how much red meat they want. Hmm. Lus Hogg says on a, national, on a national radio, I do not plan to be the moral police and will not tell people how to live their lives, but I intend to help people get information that forms the basis for making choices. Note, Lus Hogg did not say drink more, nor that smoking or obesity do not cause cancer, nor did she promise that she was going to do nothing to help public health. On the contrary, she announced a new anti-smoking strategy. She merely reaffirmed adults' adults' rights to consume substances that are perfectly legal, adding that people know pretty much what healthy what is healthy and what is not healthy, and expressing a trust in most citizens to act responsibly towards their own health. Yet her words, words were, are an, anathema to how public policy is conducted, but Liz Hogg's d- desire to step back out of our lives is refreshing and brave. That's really remarkable. <laughs> that is. For a public official to say, 
go ahead, eat, smoke. And you know, it's funny the way that's phrased in there too, because it's eat, drink, and smoke red meat. <laughs> so that's <laughs> the way I heard it. I'm not sure. Anyway, I think it's a fine example of how we should fight political correctness, and there's not really much I can add to that. That's a very libertarian statement. You have the right to live your life your way, provided you respect others, although she didn't get into the respect others part, but that's okay. It wasn't part of the what she was saying. Political correctness really sticks in my craw. I should really be doing a piece about that in some upcoming episode. I'll put that in my notes. And I promise you, when I do it, it is not going to be politically correct. Well, Mr. Small, thank you for sharing that. That brightened up my day because it looks like there are still a few sane politicians in the world. I wish we had more of them here in Pennsylvania. Thanks, Ken, and I actually agree with that, too. And I can't wait to hear your talk about political correctness because that really (laughs) grinds my gears as well. All right. Our next email comes from Kevin uh, Gotchen. I'm so sorry. From Cumberland County. What can we do about district attorneys who won't do anything about police brutality? Hmm. This one came up a couple of weeks ago, and it was, it was a long answer, and I didn't have time to do it, but we got time to do it now. It's one of the reasons why we stuck it here earlier in the show. What can we do about police brutality? Well, first of all, Kevin, we got to define our terms. What is police brutality, legally speaking? Well, obviously, we have to go look at the law. And I took a look, and it says the law says it's okay for police to be brutal in certain situations. I don't think I was surprised. It's in Pennsylvania Code, Title 18, Section 508. Quote, he is justified in the use of any force which he believes is necessary to effect the arrest and of any force which he believes to be necessary to defend himself or another from bodily harm while making the arrest. Next part of the law goes on to discuss deadly force, but uh, let me stop that because I'm going to be talking about that as part of my sticks in the craw, so we'll be coming back to that. If I started talking about now, I'd just eat up the whole hour and our king of hemp is going to just be sitting there having to listen to me. But with the law, the key phrase there is the force which he believes to be necessary to effect the arrest and defend himself while making the arrest. I can't help but think of that cop who defended himself in Lancaster by tasering a handcuffed guy in the back. Or the cops in Norristown who who defended themselves by putting a chokehold on a 14-year-old girl. Or those cops in Wildwood who defended themselves by falsely accusing a 20-year-old Philly woman of drinking on the beach, then beating her up, then accusing her of attacking them. (sighs) Were these actions necessary to effect an arrest? Were they necessary for the cop to defend himself? Maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but, you know, it doesn't seem that way to me. But that's not really a question. Because remember, we're the Pennsylvania Project. We're all about solutions. And rather than solving the problem correctly, it's to solve the correct problem. Certainly a cop can defend himself. But the problem to solve is not how to effect an arrest, but rather how can police protect citizens. And there is a solution. I'll be talking more about this later in the episode and not just about tasering, choking, beating up women, rather about police killing citizens because that's what really sticks in my craw. Let's leave it at that for now and pick this back up after we meet with our guest, a king of hemp in Pennsylvania. What else do we have in the mailbag? (laughs) (laughs) So next we have Valley Naka in the Lehigh Valley. Do you support the arming of teachers for student safety? This is another classic case of solving the correct problem, or actually solving the 
correct problem versus solving the problem correctly. Because what problem are we solving here? Obviously, we're, we're trying to protect students. I mean, that's the goal here. But is it necessary to arm teachers to protect students? Or is there a, a better answer? Let's look at some history. Maybe we could find some guide there. And I remember living through this about 30 years ago. Bernie Getz. Remember Bernie Getz? He's riding the New York City subway. Four attackers came after him. He shot all four of them. He was illegally carrying a gun, by the way. That's strict gun control up in the Big Apple. What are you going to do? But after he shot them, an interesting thing happened. Gun crime plummeted in the subway. Nobody was attacking anybody on the subway anymore. For the next six months, it was way, 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 way down. Why? Because the crooks were afraid the same thing was going to happen to them. This is the approach I would like to take. Rather than arming teachers, I would loudly proclaim publicly that I'm offering firearms training to all teachers. Then it would be up to the teacher to decide whether or not to carry a weapon. As was the case with Mr. Getz, the uncertainty of which teacher may be armed would be a powerful deterrent to any would-be shooter. And should some shooter, say that fast, and should some shooter appear nonetheless, I'm sure there would be a teacher on hand who could address the situation. Nice. But there wouldn't be because, just like with Mr. Getz, they'd be chased away. Now, there are other solutions I've heard. These are solving the problem correctly, but not solving the correct problem, like police officers patrolling the corridors, metal detectors, random searches of students. Good grief. What is this, Nazi Germany? It only instills a constant state of fear in the students, as well as acclimating them to a police state environment at a young age. We don't want to do that with our kids. Bottom line, I do not support or oppose arming teachers. What I do support is teachers voluntarily arming themselves once we give them the training. Thank you for that lesson, Mr. Getz. Thank you. Our last question is also from Ellie Naka and the Lehigh Valley to support free public college for all students. <laughs> I can relate to this. Yeah, I know. I know people who have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Our Drexel Toastmasters Club. Poor kids. $30,000 a year. Good grief. Well, first off, there's no such thing as a free college. Somewhere, somehow, Somebody has to pay for salaries, building maintenance, utilities, textbooks, everything, all that stuff. And the question becomes, who? Now, I guess Ellie's thinking the government? Well, the first question I ask is, what's the proper role of government? In my opinion, speaking as a libertarian, the role of government is to protect the rights and property of the citizens, not to glad hand tax dollars to any special interest like students, no matter how deserving they may be. Because once you earmark tax dollars for one thing, it opens the floodgates for other special interests. They start clamoring for their own pet projects. I don't know about you, but I stand against government funding special interests. And there's a secondary concern here, too, because the very concept of college is currently in decline. I saw an article in Forbes magazine a couple months ago. It said that enrollments are down 25% across the country, and employers are just not demanding the college degree anymore. My opinion, the day of these brick-and-mortar colleges, they're numbered because colleges have priced themselves out of the market, out of the reach of us regular people. So what do we do? Again, we're the Pennsylvania Project. We're all about solutions. And there is one. 
And it's not really free. Instead, students get paid. How's that for an alternative? They're called apprentice programs. And let me give you a great example. My dad was a tool and die craftsman before he retired. He made jet aircraft parts for a living. Now, if you wanted to learn that skill today, you'd be racking up, what, six-figure debt? I don't know how much. But my father took a job as an apprentice at the Bud Company in Philadelphia, where he learned a trade. And while he was learning, the company paid him. Today, finally, that model is starting to come back. I know for a fact, Boeing, the aircraft company, they can't find enough mechanics. So what they're doing is they're training them themselves. They're going to the school saying, you want to learn how to make jet aircraft parts? And they're paying for it. Airlines can't find enough pilots. Airlines, same thing. They go to the colleges. Who likes, who likes to fly? We're going to teach you how to fly. Not only that, we're going to pay you for it. That's what I support. I don't support these free colleges. I don't support dumping the debt on the taxpayers. I support apprentice programs. Besides, if it was free, people place no value in free things. It's, a, it's a, the dream that they love themselves that they'll work the hardest for. And that becomes one of their most valuable possessions. Well, that'll do it for the you portion of the show. When we pick up in a minute, we'll be back with our guest, Sean Patrick House, the Hemp King of Pennsylvania. But in the meantime, we'll be right back with this information. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Hey, Ken, I want to let you in on a Pennsylvania secret. Uh, A secret about Pennsylvania that I don't already know? I thought I knew them all. What about Hemsels? Shemp who? No, Hemsels. They're like a Philly soft pretzel, only better. Hey, I'm a Philly boy, remember? You're going to have to explain that to me. How could it possibly be better? It's a Lancaster County soft pretzel made with hemp seed, flour, and oil. So hemp plus pretzels equals Hemsels. Swirled, baked, frozen, and shipped direct to you. Just thaw, heat, and eat. Salty or sweet. Exported from bucolic Pennsylvania Dutch country to your home or ask your favorite re- retailer. Online at Hemsels.com or call us toll free at 1-800-USE-HEMP. Sounds like Philly's going to have to make room for a new pretzel tradition. Yep. Get yours today at Hemsels. H-E-M-P-Z-E-L-S! <laughs> Thank you for that. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here. I'm back, and welcome to the them portion of episode eight of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. My guest today mixes the environmental and political, Sean Patrick House, who he doesn't call himself this. I call him Pennsylvania's hemp king, because he really is. 
He's a political activist for hemp-related matters, CEO of the Lancaster Trading House Incorporated. They've been baking those hemp pretzels for well over 20 years. Hempsels, they call them. I mean, now we know how to spell it. It's the oldest hemp food produced in America. Dude, that rocks. And I know him personally. He's a tireless activist to repeal the restrictions on cannabis hemp. And he's got a great radio voice. (laughs) Sean, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Oh, oh, listen to that voice. Say that again. I'm really, really (laughs) happy to be here. Thank you very much. You know, when I first started doing political stuff, my dad was saying to me, he says, can you do something about your voice? It's like, well, let me talk to my parents about that. Maybe we get something retroactive going on here. Well, it makes you unique. That's true. And I'm not going to do my unique voice anyway. <laughs> Can't tempt me. A lot of smoke going on here. So stop, <laughs> stop blowing smoke up about being the king of hemp. I'm just one of many, many activists that are out there working to, to uh, bring this plant back that used to be around here years and years ago. Okay, you demand, sir. Well, you know, and I, I do this a lot. Let's start off at the beginning by defining terms because I know that there's confusion. What is hemp? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. One of the three students. <laughs> I would consider hemp as the agricultural part of cannabis. And if you were going to refer to the proper name, if you were growing it for flower, F-L-O-W-E-R, the CBD, THC thing, then I'd be looking at saying as cannabis in reference to medicinal value. So hemp is agriculture. Um, if we're going to grow for fiber, seed, or oil, if it's fiber, we're looking at 18 or 150 to 300 plants per meter. If we're growing it for CBD or THC varieties, it's about two to three plants per meter. So it looks like a Christmas tree. Cute. Yeah. And it, it's, they called it the new billion dollar crop in 1937. And that's, as we know, when gold and silver were backing our currency and a dollar could buy a lot of things. I so. know. And you know, I, I said that I think it was in episode three, somebody asked why gas was so expensive. And I said, it's not expensive. Back then, a silver quarter would buy a gallon of gas because it was 25 cents, 25 cents. And today, that silver quarter is worth like three, four bucks. So, so, when, pri- I, so when I go up to the Porcupine Festival at uh, Lancaster, New Hampshire, I'll trade silver, gold, vegetables, or anything for our pretzels. Why not? It's funny you should say that. I have with me right here a silver free state project coin. Look dude, at that. He's dude, got, got a too. few of them. Oh, man. Are we, are we birds of a feather here or what? Yeah, diversification. And that's what we're looking at in this green economy. So you're saying cannabis versus hemp. You're distinguishing between the two. Well, like, that, that, I guess that's a proper genus. The only reason I'm saying this, Ken, is the kids aren't being taught this stuff in school. So, of course not. so we're talking about Pennsylvania. And I collect a lot of historical stuff because it's not being taught. So I have cough syrup from Hellam, Pennsylvania, which is in York County, across from the river from where I'm at in Lancaster. And it says that cannabis in the the listing of the ingredients. I have a a corn tincture from Norristown, Pennsylvania, that lists cannabis also. Are you getting this stuff now, or is this something from 100 years ago? Um, No, it's it's original stuff that I collected. I've been doing this for more than 25 years, 30 years. I can't go into CVS and buy this stuff. Uh, you know, I think it's funny because you can go in different states to probably CVS as well oh, as other yeah. places and get different things. It's really, you know, come back down to the states taken away from the federal mm-hmm. government. So, and, you know, I want to do a whole show around the free states. Have, have you been to any of them? Washington, Colorado? I used to live in Washington State. Since they legalized no, recreational no, 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 cannabis? No, Fort Lewis. No, oh, I was a man. little kid. <laughs> In the beginning, people were real upset about it, like, oh, my God, the world's going to end. And then I went back like a year or two later after it was legal, and they're like, 
Yeah, it's legal. Well, and, and you know, the funny thing about it is everybody thinks this is, um, they're going to make a lot of money. And I was like, are you into farming? Because that's basically what it is. What we're looking at, I'm looking at, is a commodity. You know, I, I respect cannabis for medicine. I, I use it myself. I'm not on any other medications at 55. Um, but I understand the difference mm-hmm. as well as my daughter knows the difference and our family knows the difference. And we've been planting seeds for years and years of knowledge because we're not being taught this stuff. Well, let me differentiate again. When you say you're, you're taking this all the time as medicine, are you talking about hemp and hemp oil or are you talking about cannabis and cannabis eating the food uh-huh. you know the whole nine yards i mean we're Does, adults doesn't that get in the way of you functioning normally in a, in a rational society because i remember my days in college you know i like walking the walls and stuff uh, that's you <laughs> 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 no i think it's just um control like anything else i mean and we're adults i mean uh-huh you know i don't drink coffee and i don't you know, drink um, beer, alcohol. I mean, you drink alcohol, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, I love my IB, IPAs, man. Yeah. I like to supply high protein pretzels as little sponges for your tummy while you're drinking. So uh, we do the Atlantic City Beer Fest. Uh, that's the pretzel. We have a premium pretzel. Uh-huh. Premium male, premium pretzels. Now, do you farm yourself? No, not at all. The goal is to contract with our Pennsylvania farmers, and farmers are already doing it. They've they really? started growing two years ago for mainly research. Well, wait a minute. How did they get, how did they get around the law? Well, they don't. They're they're playing the game. Uh, they're they're getting uh, they're paying the, the permit fee, which was very excessive two years ago, and it was only used for research, so you couldn't sell your crop. Uh, this year, you can pay six hundred dollars, which is maybe half of that that uh, permit fee, but you still have to get fingerprinted, and huh. you still have to get have a criminal background check, which I think is silly. I and think so it's do insane. a lot of farmers do too. Yeah, especially since you can't really get a giggle off the hemp. You can get whatever you want, but it's farming. I mean, who wants to do anything? Think about it. The medical marijuana program here in Pennsylvania. What a do you get a cri- do you have to, Do you have a criminal background check for that? Do you know, I don't know. You know did you get fingerprinted? We, we got a guy coming on in a couple of weeks, Jeff. And No, you don't have he's, to. That's he, the answer. He does that. So. Right. So my, my, my medical marijuana permit is a declaration of independence. I carry that all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a crock. And uh-huh. that's, that's another thing. We're trying to get away from the Pennsylvania state store mentality. And, and that's how things have uh-huh. been evolving. Now, when you see the decriminalization coming, don't you see the, that the state store system would be a natural? I see people flocking to get in line to give up their natural <laughs> rights. You uh, and this shouldn't even be done that way. You sound like a libertarian, man. I, yeah, in, in the hemp circles, I'm identified as libertarian. As libertarian circles, I'm identified as a hemp guy. And <laughs> can't, you know, the conservatives, I'm a liberal. The liberals, I'm a conservative. So it's, you know... <laughs> It's the best of both worlds. Oh, that's great. Now, there are a lot of farmers doing this. I mean, what do you talk about, well, acreage, it, it, thousands? It's amazing. Um, we recently were having a hemp gathering with farmers, and I had done this 20 years before. I mean, it was a lot of education, and we're, doing, we're at the farm show annually. We've been there for 15 years uh, talking about hemp, tasting hemp, um, showing historical facts on hemp, you know, so people – understand this just say no campaign but not the nancy reagan it's a kano w for knowledge mm-hmm. so they can go forth um let me just jump in there sure, and say sure. for people who may not be old enough to remember nancy reagan is the founder of the just say no campaign yeah no for ignorance and intolerance where we're saying kano w for knowledge and then make your own choice uh-huh. you know we don't want to mandate that you grow hemp everybody wants to grow hemp for cbd now 
I mean, that, that's the big, yeah. the big driving force because the dairy farmers are going out of business here in Pennsylvania. Well, it gives them something else to, to grow then. Absolutely. The feed mills are getting loosened up. Um, I mean, people are selling their feed mills, so here's an opportunity to buy feed mills to be able to mill hemp flour, which is gluten-free. Huh. Press hemp oil. I didn't know that. Yeah. Gluten-free. Yeah. We, My- do a, yep, we do a pretzel that way, and it's still milled with wheat, but... So are your hemp cells completely gluten-free? No, no, no. But hemp flour is, F-L-O-U-R, uh-huh. is, is gluten-free. Can you make uh, pretzels and pizza with it stuff? We've done pizza crust. In the hemp project in 1998, we, we did hemp pizza. And uh, we have a concession trailer, so we'll be doing a lot of different things uh-huh. now. Because my wife is gluten-free, and I make my own pizza, and I do a... With, she tells me it's the best gluten-free pizza of anyone she's ever had. Cauliflower and stuff? Well, no. No, I use, here comes a commercial, uh, King Arthur does a gluten-free flour. It's, okay. I don't have to do any of that pre-mixing. I was waiting for something like that to come out. Yeah. And it just makes my life easier. because one-for-one substitution with regular flour. It works differently, that's for sure. Well, the, the hemp seed is similar to flax seed. If you want to talk technicalities for people like what exactly is the benefit of hemp seed? Uh-huh. So you're getting a protein source that is a digestible Edison protein. So for vegans and vegetarians that are looking to reduce their meat consumption and be a little bit more plant-centric, uh-huh. that's part of the power of the hemp seed. The essential fatty acids are things that the body needs. Wow. You, you get those through fish, flax, primrose, or borage, but not in the balance of hemp seed. So uh-huh. ideally, we... We bring it in from Canada, but we're we're actually buying it from some uh, American farmers now, and it's pressed into hemp flour in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I didn't know any of this. I'm yeah. an I'm an information technology geek. I got my first job as a computer programmer for COBOL back in 1970, and I never never got into any of this stuff. I used to sell eight inch floppy diskettes. Oh man, yeah. I I still have some of those. I used to call them WWDB. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome home. I know. I love it. You remember Irv Homer? You must remember Irv then. And Jim Quarry. Jim Quarry oh, sent me man. to DeStefano when I tore my shoulder in judo. So, yeah, uh-huh. it was a, it's amazing to be back. But um, Do you know our press release that's announcing this show? This is our eighth episode. We've been on this air now, geez, two months. I think you're doing a great job. Thank you, sir. But the headline says, announcing the first libertarian talk show on WWDB since Irv Homer. We need some more of that. I know. We, we, we need some more in-between versus this left or right. Uh-huh. You know? And I, I got to give a shout-out to WWDB because I mean, they're just wonderful in inviting me on here in the first place. And the best part is my contract runs for another 10 months. <laughs> more participation. They, we need to hear more voices. Mm-hmm. All right, let's pull it back to the, the hemp thing. You said something there, my ears perked up. Canada. You're importing hemp from Canada? Well, I've been doing it forever. The DEA, well, tried they tried to ban hemp foods from 2000 to 2004. That really put a crimp in my business plan uh, for years. And, and presently, we're getting the hemp uh, flour and seed and oil from American producers now, American farmers. There you go. Trump would love you. Mm, yeah, I guess. No, I, I didn't vote know. for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I voted libertarian. Right on. I've been voting libertarian. Now, the, you know, it was interesting you say about Trump because it was December 20th of um, last year, 2019, that he had signed the um, – took the power of cannabis and hemp away from the DEA and put it back to the states. But nice. he separated the CBD and gave it to the FDA, and that's a mistake because what we're having in Pennsylvania is monopolies, mm-hmm. and we're having outside influence come in and really dictating law – and what people were having to do, again, fingerprinting, criminal oh, background check of fa- farmers, 
you know, so there are other solutions that we could be looking at, you know, like repealing those restrictions to help our farmers, reducing mm-hmm. fees. Uh, there's issues with pollen when you're growing CBD or flowering. FL- when I talk about the two, F-L-O-W-E-R, uh-huh. flowering plants, think CBD, THC, but F-L-O-U-R, think of what we want to grow for our pretzels, for to eat, to put into oil, nut butters, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like I've got a T-shirt. It says, free the weed. It's got leaves on it and everything like that. It sounds like I should get one that says, free the CBD. No, it, keep it simple. In a complicated world, we want to free the seed, not, <laughs> not the CBD, because it's the ultimate thing. I mean, what's happening now, the, the big companies are isolating and um, patenting each parts of the, of the, the seed. They're, mm-hmm. So they're ultimately looking to control. It was a delivery system with the THC and CBD, so. Well, if I'm going to wear a shirt that says free the seed, I'm going to ask my wife first. Yeah, we have a Hempland Security t-shirts. Oh, we'll do that. <laughs> yeah. All right, my guest today, Sean Patrick House, Pennsylvania's hemp king, political activist on hemp-related issues, and you're listening to the Pennsylvania Project, Episode 8. I'm your caster, Ken Krawchuk, and we'll be right back after this information. Do you need estate insurance, emissions testing, tires, brakes, exhaust, suspension, or work or, or routine factory schedule maintenance? For all of your automa- automotive service needs, visit Wallace Auto Service at 700 East Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, PA. Wallace Auto even has a Phillips 66 gas station where you can fill up at great low prices. Check out Wallace Auto online at wallaceautoservice.com or call them at 610-658-9000. For over 16 years, Wallace Auto Service has been proud to serve in the Bryn Mawr Haverford area. Stop in and say hello to fill up your gas tank at Wallace's great low prices. That's Wallace Auto Service at Phillips 66 Gas Station at 700 East at Haverford Road in Bryn Mawr, PA, or give them a call at 610-658-9000. Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add that sleeve that you started to cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from. They can create an original design or work on the design that you can provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267-8-WE-ROCK or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo. Are you ready? Are you a small business owner? Are you looking for, always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Steve Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Steve has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have a single, you'll have a creative a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. Steve will have the headache. Steve will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at steveworley.com. That's Steven with a V, W E R L E Y.com. You've been registered as a libertarian for years, voted for libertarians even longer, and lived by libertarian principles all your life. Now you 
it's time to take the next step to join the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march towards liberty in Pennsylvania. Take an active role in making it happen. Maybe even consider running for political office yourself. It all starts with joining the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit LPPA.org to sign up today. That's LPPA.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and we're back with Episode 8 of the Pennsylvania Project. And our guest today is Sean Patrick House, the man I call Pennsylvania's Hemp King, and a political activist for hemp-related issues. You didn't run out the door. Not at all, Ken. There's lots to talk about. I know. And you know, there's one thing that you touched on and I want to come back to, and that's the industrial uses for hemp. Everybody knows about hemp rope. When I was a Boy Scout, that's all we had, and I hated it because it's just, you know, it didn't tie well and would fall apart. And also, I had a pair of hemp chucks, you know, Chuck Taylor sneakers. And they lasted me about a month, and they started to fall apart. So they're the two industrial uses of hemp that I'm familiar with. Yeah, and it's manufacturing and everyone trying to be the first of everything. And it's an old industry. It's being revived. So there's a learning curve on what people are going through. The the big thing, um, when I started in the um, late 80s, it was lotions and soaps. That was kind of the darling of the industry. Lip balms we did for Alterna. Um, because it's a great carrier agent besides drinking it, you know, again, getting essential fatty acids. What do you mean a carrier agent? Well, for lotions, instead of using petroleum, which would block oxygen to your your skin, uh-huh. you're using it kind of like olive oil. So it, it'll carry in, it'll absorb into your skin with the nutrients. So Dr. Dr. Bronner uses it that way. But, you know, the textiles was was always there. And again, they called it the new billion-dollar crop. So Henry Ford was looking at fiberglass and things of that nature, as well as as um, fuel for vehicles. And we, three months before nine one one, had sponsored a, a Mercedes Benz that did thirteen thousand miles on hemp diesel fuel. <laughs> really, came up to Johnstown's grave. But what, getting at the new industrial things, concrete, graphene for battery parts, amazing. Any of your new car parts are are hemp and flax because they're recyclable. Uh-huh. You know, so there are things that the big boys are already doing that everyone, the small business people want to get involved with. It's just who do you know and where you're getting the raw materials and who's making what. Your shoes, you can make good shoes. Like you can make good Levi's with hemp and Levi's is going to do it again. Mm-hmm. But certain things, you just have to be careful where you're getting your product from. Yeah, I think Chuck Taylor's would be good. but well, And this was probably about eight years ago. So maybe they've learned since then. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I wear chucks all the time. I wore them since I was a kid. There's another commercial for <laughs> chucks. <laughs> hey, if, if I believe in a product, I have no problem with standing up saying this is great. You know, yeah. like my favorite IPA, of course, is Trogues out in central Pennsylvania. Trogues IPA, perpetual. Yeah, I so just, put a pretzel with a beer and then you, you can drink more. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, industrial-wise, you're talking composites, uh, wood substitutes that are done with non-formaldehyde glue. Um, so, again, you have a uh-huh. plant that's growing 8 to 18 feet tall in 90 days, and you're getting wood from that. You can make railroad ties out of that? Well, I, that would be a little different. But I, I imagine you could. I mean, you're, they're, building con- they're making concrete homes in the United Kingdom um, with hemp concrete. So, <laughs> you know. Th- I never knew that. 
Yeah. This is an education for me, Sean. I'm glad you're here. Again, part of the Just Say No campaign. Yes, <laughs> like, KNOW. Enlighten us. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, you mentioned hemp diesel fuel. How do you get diesel fuel out of hemp? They're doing it from the seed. So it's hemp biodiesel. You know, at, at the time, and it's on our website at hemsels.com. If you click news clips, uh, you'll be able to see the hemp car there in the newspaper in Lancaster County. And, uh-huh. But it was like $40 a gallon. But we're in the newspaper saying, hey, at least we're not in the Mideast fighting for oil. And lo and behold, three months later, nine one one happened, and <laughs> we're in the Mideast. Yeah, we're fighting, fighting for over oil, pipelines, yeah. exactly. You know, but Henry Ford was a chemergist, and that was something during the nineteen thirties. I'm sorry, a chemergist. Anything that you can make from the minerals from underneath the ground—it's carbohydrates versus hydrocarbons. Uh-huh. You can do from the farmers' fields. So the chemergy movement was big in using waste resources from farming. You know, biomass, fuel, things of that nature, plastics, any of the bike, bakelite, you know, the old radios. Bakelite, yeah. Bakelite, bakelite. It would have been a, a cellulose yeah. plant-based plastic. So we're, we're looking at plastics. That's another, another thing. <laughs> and they're already doing 3D printers with hemp filaments. I got one word for you. Plastics. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was not aware they were making plastics with these things. Yeah. I mean, I, in fact, I saw that at Porkfest, um, not with the hemp, but the the printers i don't know five years ago six years Mm -hmm. ago something of that nature but yeah it's another angle that we're looking at uh and a couple other key things for diversification Mm -hmm. and for people who are wondering pork fest is a gathering of the tribes of the small l libertarian movement where people just believe other people should have the right to live their own life their own way june yep it's the end of june it's up in new hampshire new hampshire the free hampshire am i saying it wrong well no no i mean you look at the hamptons is a dutch word for hemp Really? Yeah. So you're looking at New Hampshire <laughs> would be the same thing. Uh, hemp fields. You know, they were during pre-steamboat era, the USS Constitution used 60 tons of hemp rigging annually. Cannabis, cannabis. Uh-huh. You know, the northern European tribes were growing cannabis for hemp for your rigging, your rope, the stuff that you don't like. I mean, all that type of stuff. That was big industry. We covered the Conestoga wagon twice with hemp canvas. And that was in Conestoga, Pennsylvania, Lancaster County. Uh-huh. They're the namesake of the wagon. We're in Hempfield Township, Lancaster County. Uh-huh. And, you know, next week I will be at Hempfield High School to yeah. speak to four different classes about political stuff. And the question will be, what do you think they grew in hemp? Hempfield Township. <laughs> I will make it a point to say there's that. A, there's a good test for our future leaders. <laughs> you know, it's one of the things I loved about being on the campaign trail when I was running for governor is it got me into the schools. And I would tell them the, the unvarnished truth. You know, gun control kills. Handguns are a girl's best friend. And I can add add the hemp field to the hemp fields of hemp field. Oh, there's there's a lot of that. I mean, it's just it's amazing, again, because, again, when we look at what the government already recorded through the U.S. Department of Agriculture, they understood the difference between cannabis and hemp. Mm-hmm. It was based on racism during the 30s, black men raping white women type of deal and calling it marijuana. Mm-hmm. I never use that word. I always kind of say... The only people that use that word are newbies, politicians, and lawyers. Uh, okay. You know, because it's marijuana is medicine. Marijuana is not medicine. Prove it. No, you don't have to prove it. Well, cannabis is medicine. Uh-huh. And in 1916, our government produced a, a pamphlet, U.S. De- uh, Department Bulletin. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but they wanted to use hemp herds for paper making. Okay, so the de- Declaration of Independence, you always heard it was done on hemp, but it was, the draft was done. It was then put on parchment uh-huh. uh, that way. But hemp papers archival. But again, our government knew the difference is what I'm getting at prior to this 1937 Marijuana Tax Act that put that confusion into our grandparents' grandparents' 
parents, you know, through this mm-hmm. concerted effort to create this ism. It's amazing that the name didn't get into the that agency, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Another alcohol or another agency to abolish? <laughs> well, this is a Pennsylvania show, so it's not our business. We don't look at the but federal the, issues. Well, one thing but, we but should— you know what? Go ahead. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, that's a party I want to get invited to. <laughs> <laughs> but if we look at the legislative stuff, what Pennsylvania can do, I think they're still using the noxious weed program and having cannabis sativa listed under there, giving them the right to regulate uh, all cannabis growth. <laughs> And that's another thing that we could actually challenge them on because through the Interstate Commerce Clause, we understand Congress somehow has the right to regulate all commercial activity. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. we look at Interstate what, activity, if I, by my reading. Yeah, and I'm, I'm right with you, but um, that's when I had sought public office. Part of my platform was to recognize that people have the individual right to self-cultivate cannabis. It eliminates the greed factor. Any of this... Stuff going on in Pennsylvania wasn't due to compassion or it was the right thing to do. It was revenue generation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be that again. I mean, it was funny. During the campaign, our governor, Tom Wolf was saying, oh, no, Pennsylvania is not ready for marijuana. Oh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman came I- out and listened and <laughs> listened and listened. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he did a great job. Yeah, I, I like Mr. Fetterman. I met him a couple of times. He's a, he's a straight-up guy. I can't understand why he's a Democrat, though. No, I just it because the, the boat looks bigger. I think once I guess. you know people get dissuaded, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. ultimately see the light and go from Coke and Pepsi to water. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the governor during the campaign was saying Pennsylvania is not ready for it, as if he knows what Pennsylvania wants. I it, know the parts of Pennsylvania I know they're long past ready. Well, we need industry, but, and I guess with the Pennsylvania dairy farmers going out of business, and mm-hmm. the, and Penn State is really behind this, and. Really, Everybody's behind it. Right, right. It's just a certain po- political thing of how they're going to control it, that uh-huh. Pennsylvania state store mentality. Well, the governor changed his mind. I'm not going to say he flip-flopped on it, but I heard him just say, yeah, I think we're ready for it now. Yeah, it's because he got reelected. I don't know. I, yeah. don't, know. And, I don't know what he's thinking. And there's a lot of people. Again, I'm not the king of anything. I'm just trying to take care of my own little vision, <laughs> my own little dream as a small business person. There's a lot of activists out there. You know, we found the Achilles heel in the whole argument of this prohibition of cannabis, mm-hmm. you know, that? The, the hypocrisy with the government uh, yeah. owning the patent, growing it in Oxford, Mississippi for 30 years, putting people in jail, meanwhile, owning a patent for this, saying that it has no use and then showing that it does have use. Well, you know, when you're taking the lead on stuff like that, you say you're just this guy doing stuff. Sean, that's called leadership. And you know what you do, you find out the way you find out you're a leader, you do what you think is important, which is what you're doing. And you look over your shoulder. If there's nobody following you, you're not leading. You're taking a walk. But there are a lot of people following what you're doing here. Oh, it's been a long walk, too. I don't, I don't really <laughs> look behind my back. I don't want to look at the history too much. It's like uh-huh. survival mode for 25 years. So, no, it, it's all good, and you're absolutely right. We've been planting a lot of seeds. No, let me jump in there. Something else you mentioned about the patents and everything. And first thing I think of is like Monsanto or people like that. Have they gotten into trying to come up with different strains of? Absolutely. GW Pharmaceuticals was one of the major players years back. And um, they were isolating in the United Kingdom all these varieties of plants to patent it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Bare. And again, it, 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 it's the issue that it shouldn't be illegal. This is a plant. You con- congressionally, right. we can't outlaw a plant. It's yeah. something that was used there. So there's no legal basis. 
right. the issue of control is the delivery system, and that's what well, they were developing: the sprays, the sublingual sprays. Mm-hmm. You know, the delivery system of of this plant, where yeah. you should be able to grow it in your backyard. Yeah. Don't we have the right to keep and bear plants? Right, 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 right. So the challenge is there, and if the farmers, you know, again, to the people that are seeking office, challenge them. And that's what it takes. We have self-government here. It means we're going to have to do it yourself. Yep. Sean, we're reaching the end of our time. It goes so quickly. It's amazing. Any final words? You want to do your Hempsels chant again? What? No, no, no. It, Ken, I just really appreciate that there's a voice in here in Philadelphia we have a lot of fans out there. The number is 1-800-USE-HEMP. Uh, email anytime, sales at hemsels.com. And uh, let's just work together to create jobs, protect the environment. Mm-hmm. And why not buy American hemp? Buy Pennsylvania hemp. Exactly. Our mission here, our vision here is a better Pennsylvania. And it sounds like hemp is going to be one of the steps. I'm ingrained in Hempfield Township, so <laughs> not going anywhere. Sounds good. Sean, thank you much. That's going to wrap it up for the them portion of the show today. I want to thank again our guest, the king of Pennsylvania hemp, Sean Patrick House, for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for information, and when we return, I'll be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw, cops killing citizens. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Angel, how's it going? Meh, could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go as a 1099 contractor. So? So what about the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax? I have better things to do than figure out tax laws and filing, filling those forms. And I'm a libertarian, remember? Then you need Amendment 16. Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into the pre- this predicament in the first place. No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them. And when your client pays them, they pay you, minus all required taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes, all the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Sounds perfect. Where can I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. Amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning public speaking and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I'm a Toastmaster, and now I have my own radio show. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact the club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Hey, Ken Krawchuk back here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode eight of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. You know what really sticks in my craw? Cops killing citizens. I can't believe there's so much of it. It's always in the news. 
The fact is, we have a police crisis on our hands. Just look around. You don't have to look very far. You know, I started collecting police crisis stories, and it got to the point where I had so many, I had to limit myself to Pennsylvania only, and even then, there were a lot. Let me, I have a couple examples here. Probably one of the scariest ones. This came out uh, not too long ago from East Pittsburgh. It's a cell phone video. Somebody's just hanging out their window saying, hey, look, the cops are down there. An unarmed team, teen, got out of the backseat of a car and started running. Cop stepped out of his car, pulled out a service revolver, pow, 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 pow. Shot him in the back, took him down, killed him. Shook me. Definitely shook me. You shouldn't watch stuff like that, especially just before you go to bed. In fact, I'm shaken by a lot of these things I hear about from the cops. So what happened with the kid? Well, we heard the usual stories. They didn't have their body cams turned on, so nothing was, there's no evidence there. Wait until we do a full investigation, they said. And it's another one of those henhouse investigations, I call them. The police internal affairs unit looks into it. I call it the foxes guarding the henhouse there. Henhouse investigations. And we know what the investigation's going to show. It's going to show that the cops can do what they want. We talked about this in the first part of the show where the cops are allowed to beat you up. They use whatever force they want to make the arrest. This is out of hand. This is deadly force. Then there's one in Reading. This one, it's just so unbelievable. Some game commission employee, he saw a parked car and he thought it was suspicious. Now, I hang out at the state forests all the time. Is my car suspicious? I don't think so. So he called the cops. Why? I don't know. There's no evidence of any wrongdoing, nothing going on. But the state police dispatched a helicopter, commandeered the bulldozer from the state, the game commission employee, and they went looking for the guy who owned the car. Well, they found him. They found him under the treads of the bulldozer. They killed him. They ran him over. The justification? They had none. Afterwards, they looked around, and they found 10 cannabis plants in the area. And they didn't know they were there beforehand. <sighs> Crazy. I can't believe this kind of stuff. And there's so many more of them. I had a whole stack of them here, and I'm not going to go through them all because I think those two are going to be enough. Watch out the next time you're in the state forest. Watch out for bulldozers, not just ticks and rattlesnakes and copperheads and all the other indigenous things we have here in Pennsylvania. And it's perfa- pervasive all around Pennsylvania. I saw an article in the York Daily Record, a decent newspaper. I like them. Comes out, a cop kills another Pennsylvania every two, three weeks on average. And they had it broken down into what the situation was. 26% of them were running away from the cop, like that poor kid in East Pittsburgh. Three quarters of them, 74%, they weren't running away. They were just standing there talking to the cop. 7% of them, 7% were unarmed. Just shot them. 5% had a toy weapon. Now, I don't know what the situation right there is, but... Looks to me like, what's that, one out of eight don't have any weapon at all? That's awful. And by the way, according to the York Daily Record, from what I read, none of them, not one of them, had a body camera turned on. You can't always count on somebody having a cell phone camera nearby. How do they get away with it? How do these cops get away with it? Same reason I was saying to Kevin in the beginning, how they can have the police brutality and make it legal. It's in the law. The second part of the law that I read, Pennsylvania Title 18, Section 508, I already talked about the part about affecting the arrest. They can do it. But uh, the second part of that, deadly force, 
quote, he is justified in using deadly force only, my emphasis, when he believes that such force is necessary to prevent death or seriously bod- serious bodily injury to himself or to such other person. Now, that makes sense to me. That's what a cop is supposed to do. He's supposed to protect the people. So in a situation like that, somebody shooting off guns and stuff like that, cops should be able to do that. I believe that. He should be able to use that deadly force. Unfortunately, the law goes on. It says, or when he believes both that, and both is my emphasis, such force is necessary to make the arrest, which is where it starts off, and then there are four situations here. The person to be arrested has committed or attempted a forcible felony. So a cop can shoot a guy if he's breaking into a car. That's a forcible felony right there, right? Or breaking a window on a, on a shop. Cops say, oh, he broke a window. Pow, pow, pow. That's crazy. It's crazy. Here's one. Or attempting to escape if he possesses a deadly weapon. Now, what if I'm walking down, and I have a carry permit, and I'm walking down the street, and cop says, hey, you, hang on a minute. Like, I don't want to talk to a cop. And I keep walking. He pulls out his gun, pow, 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 pow. Hey, he had a deadly weapon. I'm allowed to shoot him. Good grief. <sighs> There's more to the law. Brace yourself. Or otherwise indicates that the person will endanger human life. So if I'm waving a gun around shooting off bullets, he can shoot me. That's okay. I don't mind that. Or if he's going to inflict serious bodily injury unless arrested without delay. And I'm okay with that. You know, if somebody's beating somebody up, pow, you know, bam, 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 if a cop comes up and says, stop or I'll shoot, I'm all right with that. Well, maybe I'll stop or I'll shoot. Going the other way around. So some of the law makes sense, but some of it doesn't. The rest of the law is just plain, flat out wrong. Wrong. So the solution to the police crisis, obviously, change the stupid law. Eliminate that whole middle part there. And what would really do it is you take that part of make it of where it's necessary to make the arrest, change that to say necessary to immediately protect lives. Screw the arrest. Who cares? You want to save the people. Come back and get them another day. Let's go back and look at the examples. Is it necessary to shoot a fleeing teenager in East Pittsburgh to make the arrest? Maybe. I don't know. Is it necessary to protect lives? No. That could be alive today if we had changed that law. Is it necessary to put an unarmed teenager in a chokehold and repeatedly punch her in the head in order to make a re- an arrest? I doubt it. Sincerely doubt it. Is it necessary to immediately protect lives? No. Matter of fact, it's the other way around. It's, it's more important to protect her life if you stop punching her in the head. Good grief. Houston, we have a problem. Or should I say Harrisburg, we have a problem. You know, society once tolerated the persecution of gays. We finally moved beyond that. Society once tolerated sexual harassment of women. But we finally moved beyond that, too. But society still tolerates these out-of-control cowboy cops and the bad laws that power them. And it's long past time that we moved beyond that. I hope. Well, I think that's going to about wrap it up for episode eight of the Pennsylvania Project. <laughs> Excuse me a second while I grab my composure. If you have something to say, we'd love to hear from you. So you can hear us at Pennsylvania. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And you can hear us there, too, as well as at iTunes, Stitcher, Google, your favorite podcast provider. 
And that's it for today's episode eight. The episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting every Saturday at 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia and podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our technical producer today is Paul Nicotera. Featured Toastmaster narrator is Angel Young. Webmaster Stephen Worley. Marketing guru Connor Trigotis. Keyboard wizard in the background. I love listening to Joe the Pag. Executive producer Mark Bazzacco. And me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. And be sure you're here next week. 